0: amen we're so thankful we're so thankful for those that served in the military the armed forces all the way across the world and here locally one more time if y'all don't mind give them a round of applause amen Yeah, for some reason they wanted me to follow that video up i'm not sure really how to do that Uh, Like Pastor James mentioned, my name is Ricky, and I'm a student pastor here. My wife and I, we lead our 8th through 12th grade ministry with about 20 of our best friends, and we love it. Um, If you aren't aware, high schoolers can be crazy, but we love it to death. We enjoy it. Um, A little bit about us here recently is we just had our second child. His name is Kai. So we had Ellie, who will be two in August, and then we have Kai, who just came a month ago. And I got a quick video to show you all when Ellie met Kai for the very first time. Check this video out. Gentle, I feel his hair. It's soft. Gentle. <gasps> yeah, Bubba Ty. Bubba Ty. So if you don't know Ellie, she can't say her C's or her K's, and so she says T's, and so he's Bubba Tie to her. But that was the first time that they met, and I remember when we went to the doctor's office to find out the gender to see if it was a boy or a girl, and we told the nurse that was in the room, hey, like we want to know. Um, but we want to be able to guess what it is before you tell us. And she said, okay, that's cool. And so I looked at this alien on a picture basically for 10 seconds, couldn't really tell what it was, and I passed it over to Haley, and Haley was like, is that, is that his wee-wee? And the, and the nurse said, no, no, that's his leg. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, but he is a boy. His name is Kai. Um, Ellie, <laughs> welcome to church. Ellie, um, Ellie loves Kai to death, but maybe even more than loving Kai. She loves to poke him in his eyes. And so if y'all have any tips on how to stop that, I'd love to talk to you after the service to get some pro tips from you. Um, I've heard it said as I was growing up, it takes a village to raise a child to raise a baby. And I am of complete agreement with that. We have an amazing family here locally. Our life group loves on us in this church. Y'all love on us. I know when we were in the hospital, y'all were praying for us. I want to say thank y'all. Y'all are all part of our village. And so I just want to say thank you uh, you mean a lot to us. Um, we are in the staycation series, which is a cool way of saying there's going to be a lot of different speakers, a lot of different topics all throughout this summer. And today I want to talk about increasing our faith in God. And I know in the Bible belt and here at church, that might be a little cliche, but I want to talk about increasing our faith in God, trusting in God. And I think it's so important that we have the understanding that the two greatest keys in life are having a relationship with Jesus and trusting in God 100%. You know, there's... These things that we trust in life, to me, that are kind of alarming. Like when we go to the store and we buy a puzzle, you know, we take the puzzle home and we put it together. And I haven't bought a puzzle probably in 15 years, but just stick with me here. And so when you get the puzzle, you don't go home and unwrap it and unbox it and count all the puzzle pieces. You just trust that the puzzle company, that they did their job correctly and all the pieces are in the puzzle. When um, you drive to work every day, it's not like you go underneath your car and check the brake pads and then you drive to work. You just check you trust that the brake pads are going to do their job every single time. When you walked into church this morning, that chair that you're sitting in right now, you trusted that whoever made that chair constructed it carefully. They constructed it correctly. Otherwise, you would have risked embarrassment in front of hundreds of people if you would have fell. You trusted that chair. We even trust the 18-wheelers going down the concrete tunnel, what I call 67-167, to stay in their own lane. We trust them most of the time. However, we have a hard time trusting the same voice that spoke the universe into existence. And today that's what I wanna address, that voice that speaks to us, that tells us to increase our faith. I wanna try to do that through this perspective, this lens of Elijah. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. Look, I love the New Testament. I love reading about Jesus but I also love the Old Testament and learning the context to the scriptures, learning the stories. So today we're going to talk about three stories of Elijah. And it's important to note that Elijah, the reason he was important, is because he was a prophet. And so in a real way, he represented God to the people that were around in his time. He was a spokesperson. But in his time, the people were rebelling against God. They were running away from God. and So he was trying to restore proper worship to God. And so let's, Um, hop into those stories today. And I want you to know that as we get into these stories, God did not stop his people from going through hard times. He did not stop them from having hard seasons in their life, but instead he tried to show them that in those seasons, that's where their faith can be increased the most. Before we get any further, I want to pray real quick. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak to my church, to your church. I pray that you would just give me the words, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that we'd be able to hear from you today. We learn something and go closer to you. And I pray in the name of Jesus that somebody comes to the salvation, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And so when it comes to increasing our faith, I think the first thing we have to do is we have to make room in our lives. And that might be in your notes there, we have to make room. So when we got married, um, I was living at my mom's house, my parents' house, and Haley was living at her mom's house. And um, I had one bedroom, I shared a bath with my brother, Um, not a bath, a bathroom with my brother. And... uh, (laughs) Wow. That was incredible. Um, and so when we moved into this apartment, it was two bedroom, one bath. And so I thought we upgraded, you know, but how many of y'all know the extra bedroom turned into a really big closet. The doors stay closed all the time. No one walked in there, including us. Uh, and so we moved into this apartment. We thought we had enough room. And then we began to have friends over. We began to make friends, have them over for dinner. And, um, This is a whole nother message another time about compromise in marriage. I had a 90-gallon saltwater fish tank in our dining room in our apartment. And so our dining room table, we had to pull it out and set it directly in front of the TV to have dinner with our friends. And so uh, that's when we realized we were running out of room. And then we started hosting life group. We would have 10 to 15 high school guys in our living room having life group trying to discuss scripture to talk about their intimate secrets and all this type of stuff. And how many of y'all know that having 10 or 15 guys in an apartment living room is like trying to have Life Group in a chicken nugget box from, Taco, or from McDonald's? This is not going to happen. It was so crammed in there. We decided we had to upgrade and we had to make room. And I want to dive into our first story. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4. All three of our stories today are 2 Kings. We're going to start with verse 8. It says, one day Elijah went to Shunem and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. Amen. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. And she said to her husband, I know this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put it in a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. And so this couple, they made a room at the top of their house. Like there was no room there previously. They made this room at the top of their house for Elijah because he would travel from city to city when he was doing his ministry and needed a place to stay. Now, Elijah being a good guy, he's being a holy man of God, he wanted to return the favor to these people. And so what he did is he had a friend try to decide from this couple what they wanted the most and come to find out they wanted a child. And mainly because of their age, they could not have a child. And so Elijah told this woman, this lady in this scripture, hey, you're going to have a child. And basically she says, please do not get my hopes up. You know, I want this child. Don't get me excited. And he said in verse 16, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. Again, this lady was telling Elijah, this prophet of God, do not get my hopes up about this child. A year later, the baby came. And then several years later, he began to work out in the fields with the farmers. And he got hit in the head by something. It's not really clear in scripture, but he begins to die. And they carry him up the stairs to Elijah's room. And it was in Elijah's room that this young boy, he died. Can you imagine if you were the parent in this situation. I told you, don't get my hopes up. They're probably heartbroken, frustrated, probably angry with Elijah, probably angry with God in this moment. And so it's important to remember the prophets represented God to these people. And so in a way, it's like this lady was angry with God and she runs and she finds Elijah. And again, she's like, didn't I tell you, don't get me excited for this child. I know you haven't heard yet, but he died in your room. So if I'm Elijah, I'm starting to freak out a little bit, starting to panic. And scripture says that he ran like 10 to 12 hours to go back to this house, to go to his room. And he finds this boy dead in his room. And Elijah, he prays to God and scripture says, man, this is weird, y'all. This is why I love the Old Testament because it has things that the New Testament just wouldn't have. Elijah, he goes in his room and he lays on top of this dead boy. So Elijah is alive, this boy is dead. He lies on top of him, hands on hands, his eyes on his eyes, and his mouth on his mouth. This was the method that he got from God to bring him back to life. How many of y'all know that's kind of awkward? So Elijah, this boy begins to grow warm, but not back to life yet. So Elijah says that he paces around the room, and he goes back, and he lays on top of this boy one more time, hands on hands, eyes on eyes, mouth on mouth, and this boy, he comes back to life. He comes back to life. And as I was preparing this message, I kind of asked myself, why? Why did they carry the dying boy up to Elijah's room? Why not anywhere else in the house? Why not at someone else's house out in the field? Why did they carry him up to Elijah's room? I think God wanted to show up in the same place where the lady made room in the first place. I think God wanted to show up where the lady made room. And so in this place where there was no room before, on top of her roof, not only did Elijah showed up, not only did God show up to give her this long-awaited child, miracle number one, he showed up again in that exact same room to give her miracle number two to bring this baby back to life. And I believe the whole time he, God was trying to show this woman, it was God doing a miracle in her life the whole time. But that miracle could only happen when she made room on the top of her house. Where in your life today do you need to make room for God? Is it in your marriage? Is it with your kids, is it with your friends, and your relationship, is it at work? Do you need to make room for God at work? Do you need to spend more time in prayer? Do you need to spend more time in worship? Do you need to make room to join a life group? Do you need to make room, leaders, to lead a life group? Let me be clear, God did not need that physical man-made room in order to move in this lady's life. He needed room in her heart in order to move. I promise you, if you can hear me today, if you make room in your life, I promise you God will show up. It might not look like you planned, but God will show up every single time. Martin Luther King Jr., he said it this way. We can only bring the church back to the center of the human race when we bring Christ back to the center of the church. And to go on to that, I think in order to bring Christ back to the center of the church, we have to bring Christ back to the center of our hearts because we are the church And in order for us to bring Christ back to the center of our hearts, a lot of us in this room, we need to make room. We need to make room for God in order for him to show up sometimes. Because when we make room, it actually actually increases our expectation in God because it's saying, hey, this room that I cleared out, this empty space where something was before, I need you to show up right here. And I need you to show up. I need something. I want something. And I believe that God honors that every single time. And I believe as a culture and as a church, we need to expect God to move. That's who he is. We need to expect it. And that's my point number two is to expect more. Expect more. Look, in most areas of my life, I love it when I receive more than I have plans, like, "But I don't want more bills, I don't want more dirty diapers, and I don't want more construction on the interstate in Jesus name." No way. But look, I love more. I love it when I reach in my pocket to pull out some lint and a $5 bill pops out. Hello, I'm going to Taco Bell. I'm getting me a $5 box. I love it when I go to a restaurant and order a five-piece chicken strip and they give me seven. I feel like I just beat the restaurant that night. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I love it. It doesn't happen often, but I love it when the hogs win more games than what I expect. I know it's a little soon for that. I love the... I love the vision of our lead pastor, Pastor Rick, when he says that, hey, we have 18 campuses, we have 17 in Arkansas, but that's not enough to reach this state for Jesus. We need more campuses, we need 50 in order that this whole state would know the name of Jesus Christ. I love that vision. And I believe in the right context, God is okay with more. I believe he's okay with more. And a lot of times God will bring that more based off of what we already have. That leads us into our next story, 2 Kings chapter 4 again, this is verse 2. Says Elijah replied to her, "How can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house." So, I'll give you a little bit of context real quick. In this story, there's this lady, and she just lost her husband, and her husband owed a man some money, and so it was customary at this time in the Old Testament if you owed somebody money and you couldn't repay it, you had to give your kids away to work it off. So basically, slavery. Now, this lady had two kids. I am a father of two kids, are not of the working age yet but I do not wanna give my kids away to work off a debt that I had. And so this lady, as you would imagine, is not content with her circumstances. And so she runs to Elijah and says, please help me with this debt. Please give me a way to get out of this debt. And then it says in verse two, Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elijah said, that's great. Go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars, but don't ask for just a few. Don't ask for just a few. Don't ask for just a few. A couple of things here in the scripture. Elijah is beginning to raise the expectation level of this lady, but she has no idea what's going on yet. She doesn't know what miracle is about to happen. The second thing is this lady already has in her house what is needed to make the miracle happen. Let's keep reading. It says, Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. So Elijah's telling her, block out the distractions, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. So she's getting these jars, she's filling them, put them to the other side. She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, Mom, there is not a jar left. And at that moment, the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. That already is a miracle. But in this story, we never get the lady's name. Like, we don't get the context to why she owed money besides her husband passed away. Like, we don't get if she was a good lady or a bad lady, if she sinned a lot. All we know is she owes someone some money, and we are told that she was told to go get some jars, but we're not sure how, few, how many or how few. So Elijah was raising the expectation level of this lady, but he was allowing her faith to set the ceiling of what God could do. So he said, go and get some jars. I'm gonna set your expectation, but I'm gonna let your faith set the ceiling for what God's about to do in your life. So in verse five, they were inside blocking out distractions. She began to pour out that little bit of oil that she already had. But you have to remember that little bit of oil, just that little bit should not have been enough to fill one jar, let alone multiple jars. But as soon as her faith in that oil, that her, her faith and expectation in God began to increase, the oil in that jar began to increase. And it was in that moment that God began to provide even more in her life. And she gets to this point in the story where she asks her son for another jar to keep pouring out God's miracle. But at the beginning of our story, her initial expectation limited what God could actually do. Her initial expectation of who God was and how powerful he was and what he wanted to do actually limited what God could do because she ran out of jars. There was nowhere else to pour out God's miracle in her life. I just wonder if she would have had more jars if she would have went and made two trips, three trips and got more jars. I know that God would have kept pouring out that miracle, but her faith in God stopped her miracle. Where we set our faith, shows how much we trust in God. How high or how low, where we set our faith, it shows our expectation in God. And as long as we keep increasing that faith and raising our expectations, God will move on our behalf. So this lady, she wanted something to pay off her debt just for that day, like just to pay off that moment and be done. But even with limited expectations, God is so big, even with her capped off potential of what she thought God could do, she went and lived on what was left. That's how big our God is in our life. We need to make room for God. We need to expect more. And number three, we need to mind the method. We need to mind the method. So my little girl, we eat breakfast every morning together, almost every morning, 715 to 745. We're on a routine. And Ellie loves to eat breakfast her way. She loves to drink either all of her juice or all of her milk all at one time before she even takes a bite of her food. And if you're a parent or if you have common sense, you know that that fills her belly. Like there's no more room because she drank all of this juice. Now I try to ration and reason with the two-year-old. That does not work. But I try to tell her, hey baby, if you drink all of your juice, you're not gonna have room for your food. Now I know the juice, it tastes good, but it's not going to sustain you as long as the food will. And she's like, Love you. And it's like, no, 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 like you don't get it. Like, don't drink all of your juice at first. But Ellie wants to eat breakfast her way. She wants her juice and she wants it now. I wonder how many times our father is asking or telling us, do not drink all of the juice at first. I know that juice tastes good. I know that your way looks good, but I have something that will sustain you longer if you do it my method, if you do it my way. That juice that we like is not going to sustain us as long as that food will. Minding God's method will almost always include us getting outside of our comfort zone, letting go of our way and doing things God's way. And there's some things that he'll ask of us that the methods really don't make sense at all. Like, can you imagine in today's culture, hey, Elijah, go lay on top of this boy, hands on hands, eyes on eyes, mouth on mouth. Elijah's like, God, don't you know that's not going to work? That's going to get me 20 years in prison if I do that. We think his methods might not work. As if we're God. Then you have David and Goliath. Look, David wasn't even expected to go out to the battlefield to fight. But yet there's this giant named Goliath. Scripture said he might have been nine feet tall pretty big man, and no one has the courage to go out and fight him, and Goliath is taunting the people of Israel, saying, your God's not real, y'all are terrible, some things that I can't say, even though it's in scripture, I feel kind of weird saying it, uh, because he is just taunting Israel, he's taunting the Israelites, and David kind of gets news of this as he's on the battle line, just kind of bringing a message and a ham sandwich, and you know, he's there, and God gives him this method. He says, David, I need you to go attack this giant with a slingshot. Take five rocks, go attack this giant, and you'll kill him. How many of y'all know the only reason that David dropped the giant dead is because David did exactly what God said? David didn't grab a sword. He didn't grab all this extracurricular stuff. He minded the method of God, and that's the only reason he got to cut off that giant's head at the end of the day. He did exactly what God said. And there's times that we can think, well, God, your methods are out of date. They're old. They're antiquated. To me, I believe it's a shame that here in the Bible Belt, here in church, the two greatest weapons in the world, we pass off as cliche, and that's prayer and God's word. We say, oh, that's for our grandparents. That's, that's back in the old, te- no, 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 like that's for today. That's how you win your fights is with God's word and with prayer. I want to ask you a question. What would the health of our church look like if our church prayed like you prayed? And what would the health of our church look like if our church read the Bible like you read the Bible? Look, this Bible here, this book, is a 66 book love letter, step-by-step instruction manual user's guide how to make decisions, how to have joy, how to have peace, how to love others, yet we disregard it because we think it's antiquated and old. And look, what you can't find in this word, you can find in prayer. And I hear from students all the time, well, I don't know how to pray. My parents didn't teach me, or. I wasn't raised in church. I'm going to tell you how to pray. And it's not based off of our words or our power, but pray like everything in your life depends on your prayer. Again, it's not our power, it's not our might, but when someone walks in the room and you're praying, can they tell that your heart is on the line? If the answer is no, maybe you need to pray with a little more fervor in your life. You need to expect more out of God. When it comes to prayer, you can pray boldly. Scripture says to approach his throne with confidence. We are the sons and daughters of the king. Why would we approach the father out of fear? He has called us. He is for us. Approach his throne boldly. Pray specifically. Look for all the parents in the room. How much more likely are you to give your child a gift, the one that they want, that they asked for it specifically, and by detail and by name? I believe God can work the same way. And pray like you've already won. Pray like you've already won, because in reality, even if your prayer does not turn out the way you wanted it to, even if your prayer seems to not be answered, Scripture says that God is always working behind the scenes on our behalf and that he's always doing more than we could ever hope, ask for, or imagine. And so even if our prayer doesn't turn out the way we want it to, we're still winning because God is still moving. God's methods might not always make sense, but God's methods make things happen that would not happen if we did not obey. Doing things his way makes things happen that would not happen if we did not obey those. Our last story is in 2 Kings chapter five about a man named Naaman. Now Naaman, he was a powerful man. He was a commander of an army and he got this way because he was an awesome soldier. So people honored him, they revered him. They feared him even. So he had a crowd around him at all times. People looked up to this man. However, Naaman had leprosy and I have a picture that's gonna show for just a few seconds because it's a little graphic. So that's a moderate form. If you look online, there are way worse images than this. You can imagine this man of power, Naaman, has this on his skin, yet he's over all these people, and obviously he wants this to be gone. And so he goes and he runs to Elijah to be healed of this. And in verse 9 of chapter 5, it says, So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and you and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. So Naaman, like he hears this and he's angry because he came all this way to Elijah to, to do this miracle his way, to do it Naaman's method, Naaman's way. In verse 11, it says, but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that Elijah, he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? So he's saying, like, isn't the water cleaner back home? Couldn't I have just washed there? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned off and went in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you just to wash and be cleansed? I think in this moment we're getting a peek into Naaman's heart to where he wanted the miracle, but Naaman did not want the method. He wanted the miracle, but he didn't want to do it God's way. Is there something in your life God's asking you to do? Is there someone he's asking you to approach? Is there a relationship that God is asking you to begin to restore? And you look, you want the positive outcome, yeah. But you're not wanting to do what it takes to get there. Naaman, he finally heads to the Jordan to get in the water. And y'all, it's like the Mississippi or Arkansas River. Like you, like you just don't get in it to get clean. Like it's just... Like you don't, it's dirty water. And I just wondered that after a couple of times he gets down in this water and looks back at his skin, he still has leprosy. If he begins to question God. And even up until the seventh time, there's probably people around him watching. He might even be thinking, what am I, what am I doing getting in this dirty water to be cleansed? But God's voice through the prophet Elijah told him to get down seven times. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan. This is 14 as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. The miracle matched exactly what God said would happen. The method might not match what we had in mind, but the method will always match God's miracle. It will always match God's miracle. I want to share a story from my life last September to encourage y'all today. So we were wanting to have our second child, and we got news in late, or I'm sorry, early September, that we were going to have our second child, and we were excited. I wanted a boy. I didn't really tell Haley that at first, just in case it was going to be a girl. I didn't want her to be disappointed because of my expectations, and so I wanted a boy. Um, and just to skip a lot of details, I was at a woman conference in, I guess, the last week of September of last year, and I get a text from Haley and said, I need you to come home. There's something serious, and so... Basically, we received news that we believed 100% that we just lost our child. And so I get home in the driveway, obviously emotional, didn't really have the words to say to my wife. And so I sat in my car and I just prayed to God. I said, look, I don't have the words. I don't have the strength. I don't know what to do when I go inside. And so I need you to show up. I need you to tell me what to do. He said two things. He said, I love y'all. He said, I want you to pray something bold over your family. I was like, well, that's better than my idea. Like I'll do that, I guess. And so I walked inside and for about 30 minutes, I, you know, like we didn't really say a whole lot. We just, you know, just overwhelmed with emotion. And I just remember grabbing her hand with my hand and putting my other hand on her stomach. And I don't remember my entire prayer, but do you ever have those times where you pray to God and you're almost like reminding yourself and reminding God of who God is. It's like, hey God, like I know you're good. And I know that you're for us. And I'm praying this out loud. And I know that you created us out of dirt and I know that you love us and I'm kind of stumbling through this prayer. And I said, but God, you sent your son to die for me and we accept that and we know that. And because he died for us and rose again, because we believe that, then his spirit's inside of me. I have the same power as Jesus. And I'm praying this to God and over Haley. I said, God, if it is your will, please hear my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit the name of Jesus if this, if, if this baby is not here if the baby is not alive I pray it comes back to life in Jesus name the boldest prayer I've ever prayed in my entire life I just remember saying Lord no matter what even if the outcome is not what we want please know we want this child but even if that does not happen we will love you we will trust you and we will do our best to serve you in our local church and basically I ended the prayer and for a week or so we didn't It was a hard time in our marriage because we didn't have the words to say to each other. And my heart goes out to anyone who's had to go through that, I'm sorry. We, about a week later, I was here and Haley went to the hospital just kind of for a checkup to make sure that she was okay. And in an ultrasound, there was a heartbeat and there was a baby. And it's the same baby I introduced this morning. His name is Kai. God is so good, y'all. God is so good. We chose the name Kai because in the Greek, kairos means a favorable moment in time with God. And I know that's what that was. It was nothing that I did, but Haley and I that night, we did make room and I expected God to be who he said he was and I held him to it and he's okay with that. And I prayed boldly and I just did what he told me to do. And it was in that moment in His. In this moment now, in that season of life, my faith and expectation in God has increased. You can't tell me he can't do nothing. God showed up. He wants to show up in your life today. Will you make room today for Jesus in your heart? If you don't mind, all across the room, would you close your eyes and bow your heads? I heard the other day that we can't control our seasons in life, but we can choose our spirit in those seasons. Our faith and our expectation in God are two of the only things that we can control in our life. There's so many things we can't control, but we can control our faith and we can control what we expect. I know that having faith in God is not the easiest thing to do, but if you could hear my heart this morning, it is the best thing to do. And maybe you're sitting in this room and you need help with your marriage, you need help with your finances, you need help with relationships or at work or with your health. God wants to show up, but we have to make room in our heart for Jesus. And so if that's you today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never said to be my Lord, be my savior, I wanna put my life in your hands, I trust you. Or maybe you have at one point, but you've got distracted, you've drifted away, you've made something else, the focus, the center of attention, and it hasn't been Jesus, you want to rededicate your life to Jesus today, if either one of those two people or you, no one looking around, right there where you're at, would you shoot your hand up so I can pray for you this morning? I see you here, I see you in the back. Right here in the middle, I see you, I see you. I see you on the side, sir. I see you right here in the middle. I see you right here. God, thank you so much. The Lord's speaking to you this morning, don't don't disregard it. Don't, don't put your pride up. I see you. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else today? I see you right there in the back. I want you to know that raising your hand does not get you saved, but scripture says that when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, and that's when you are saved. And so for every Christian in this room and also for those who just raised their hand, what I want you to do is I want you to repeat this after me. Jesus, I thank you a little bit more boldly, y'all. Jesus, I thank you. I know that I'm not perfect and I know that I've messed up and my sin has kept me away from you. I know that you died for me and that you rose again. You defeated death and defeated my sin. I believe in you today. Help me to live for you every day. Today with my mouth and in my heart, Jesus, I choose you. God, thank you so much for every hand that was just raised. Lord, we give you the glory today. I know right now heaven is celebrating. They are roaring. Help us to increase our faith in you, our expectation in who you are. Remind us that you are for us and not against us, that you love us, that there's a purpose you place inside of us since the beginning of time to lead people to your kingdom. Remind us of that purpose every single day. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen.